It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. there film lovers welcome to film sociology a film talk show here on wfyi hd to the point and wfyi.org if you have a question or a comment you can email me at m that's m s o c e y at wfyi.org i'm also on facebook also on twitter at matthew Sosi. the show is available as a podcast and it's also available on itunes uh, a little later on in the show, we will dip into the interview archives because I have a library of interviews. I should utilize those. Uh, but first, we have uh, three films opening this weekend. Let's get the, the big one out of the way. Let me, let me ask you, ladies and gentlemen, and only you can answer this, how many of the Fast and Furious films have you seen? I have seen all of them because of this show. There you go. Uh, but we now have The Fate of the Furious, also known as F8, um, Chris Morgan, we only have one credited screenwriter on this, so props for that. And it's directed by F. Gary Gray. And we have the, Fate and the Fast and the Furious equivalent of a heel turn, a baby face turning into a heel, which we've they've already covered in other shows. We're looking at Michelle Rodriguez's character. Uh, and this is not a surprise. You've seen it in the trailer that, uh, that Dom, played by Vin Diesel, has to turn against his family and his crew and don't have the drinking game whenever the word family is, is mentioned. But he, he teams up with uh, super cyber villain Charlize Theron as Cypher, who she doesn't really have dialogue. She has philosophies that she spits out uh, in a calm fashion. But uh, all the usual suspects are there, and some of the uh, old past characters come from uh, Fast and Furious Past come back, including Jason Statham and a few others uh, that I don't want to give away. Uh, Scott Eastwood gets thrown into the mix, and uh, there's an Academy Award-winning actor who has a cameo, or actress, I should say, who, uh, who shows up a little later on. It's interesting that I don't have as big an emotional attachment to these films as other people. Um, we we have the emotional beginning with uh, with the characters and what happens because of the the turning of Dom, and then we have, of course, an emotional climax at the end, which I again don't want to really give away. The question is. Does the film earn the right to have these uh, attempted heartstring pulls at the beginning and at the end when we have a huge over two hours of action exhaustion? Now, I don't remember being exhausted watching Mad Max Fury Road, probably because there's only been, well, to be honest, four of those, but not one in over 20 years. Uh, but now we've this is the eighth film in, what, 15, I believe? And uh, and as Chris Lloyd, I believe it was Chris Lloyd from uh, fellow film, or say film Yap and IFJA, and of course he's been on the show many times as a guest and as a host. There was something about the films at the beginning that some of these stunts were actually done. Now we can just CGI it to death because we have, there's there's a huge. Let's see, we have an action sequence in uh, car chases in in Cuba, on a pond in Russia, and in New York City. And you can digitalize all of that put together. So, uh, oh, by the way, there was there was a little bit of a publicity stunt. Apparently, there's going to be a, a Fast and Furious live show that's going to be coming to your local sports stadium, so you can see these stunts uh, live as they happen. Uh, I doubt the actor is going to be there, but the cars will be. So there there is that. Um, but it's it's kind of wall to wall action. That you and you've heard us critics complain about it before. Too much editing. 
Uh, if you're going to have actual car stunts, let's actually see them. And let's actually have them happen as opposed to digitalized stuff. Yes, jumping, you know, like there was a film, you know, one of the earlier films, you know, a car jumped from one skyscraper and landed in the through the window of another skyscraper. That's ridiculous. And, and there are some ridiculous stuff in here. There's a submarine. There's Cuba. There's going. There's a, a, a little bit of social commentary, trying to be social commentary in finger quotes, of uh, when sm- with smart cars and smart and cars that can go on there with the mind of their own. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm just tired, and I and I know people will love this. And there were people there were people in the audience who were applauding as this was go at the end of the film. I wasn't one of them. This wasn't made for me. I understand that. If I want a real action film, I'll watch Mad Max Fury Road. I, and and I know there's more Fast and Furious films coming. You can have them. Okay, shifting gears. <laughs> Uh, also opening in theaters uh, this weekend, and not as many screens, is we have the, yes, the Scottish golfing drama Tommy's Honor. Now, if you're a, a big golf fan, this is the story of Tommy Morris, uh, the famous golfer in the 1860s and 70s in Scotland. Uh, he is the son of a head groundskeeper who winds up uh, reinventing the game as we know it. Um, we uh, it's, And it's, Jack Loudon plays... Uh, plays young Tommy and uh, not a bad combination of swagger as a golfer and vulnerability as a man. As I was watching the film and again, quoting uh, Chris Lloyd and he and I have have had these discussions before he, he has complained because the film has been a particular way. And, and he said that my response was, and I exactly like the film because it is this way. This is not the case. I know Chris liked the film. I did as well. It is a biopic. And I think of my buddy Laura Jansen who once said, I don't like biopics because they're movies about people. Well, this is not uh, Tommy Morris's life story, but it is his impact on golf. And it has some of the, uh, some of the stock character and events that were supposed to happen. Father, son, riffs. Uh, class riffs. This was, uh, you know, golf is considered a gentleman's sport, so how dare a uh, son of a groundskeeper uh, try to uh, get into the gentleman's sport? We have a lot of old, stuffy, rich guys, uh, headed up, of course, by Sam Neill with great mutton chops. And uh, <laughs> so we have what happens when the Open Championships begins. We have dad's son issues. We have uh, dad, daughter, you know, have uh, husband and wife issues. It does capture the camaraderie of golf, um, but we we find out that the Tommy Morris character deals as far as trying to get more tournament pay. Uh, of course, Sam Neill complains that the groundskeeper's son is acting like he's one of them, like an equal. A class versus ability is brought up. Um, so you, you kind of get those. It, it's kind of by the numbers, but there is an interesting feel to it between the camaraderie of golf as as well as the the clash of class in golf. It's directed by Jason Connery, yes, Sean's son, and it does feel like at times a travelogue for Scotland. It looks beautiful, even even when it's blistering cold um, as far as the, the beaches and the golf course itself. So... Uh, if you're a golf fan, you'll enjoy it. If you're, are you, will you enjoy it? If you're not a golf fan, if you enjoy films that move you, even truly moving, uh, this one would be right up your alley. Also in theaters this weekend, and uh, every now and then, of course, the, the the benefits of getting an Academy Award nomination or even better a win is that you get a wider release. And finally, coming to Indianapolis theaters is one of the animated. Uh, best picture animation, uh, best not animated film nominees, I should say, from France, called "My Life as a Zucchini." And it's the story of a boy with his kite, and uh, he is taken away from his mother and put into a home, into an orphanage. And uh, what we wind up happening, what winds up happening is we he the kid refers to himself as Zucchini, as does everybody here, and we get to see his life in this orphanage with the other orphans, and we get the other orphans' backstories, even the school bully who finally eventually opens up, and what happens when the new girl comes to an orphanage. And uh, the film is only 62 minutes long, but it packs an emotional punch. Not not, uh, not cynical, no pop culture references, because it's not a Hollywood film. Um, but there is something that where everyone gets to tell their history. We are all the same. There is nobody left to love us, is the line said by the bully in this film. Um, beautiful animation, simply stated. And uh, 
I will say this: if you if uh, if you have young kids, there is a moment where the a couple moments really where the bully who becomes uh, who we find out has a broken heart of gold um, does try to explain to kids how babies are made. So. Um, this shouldn't be a deal breaker, and it'll give you a co- time to, conversa- to have a conversation with your kids about it. It just depends on how young your kids are. But it's a beautifully made animated film, and again, not very long, but it packs an emotional punch, and uh, really, really well done. And I'm glad it's finally here in Indianapolis. Okay, shifting gears a little bit, we'll see what's happening down at uh, IU Cinema. Uh, of course, it is Easter weekend. Um, so nothing is happening until Monday at three o'clock. Again, depending on when you're listening to this, you have a chance. You can run down and as a part of the Monday matinee classics at three o'clock, the best picture winner from 1934, it happened one night. And then at seven o'clock on Monday, the 17th, the man who knew infinity Wednesday, the 19th is a part of the new trends in contemporary Italian cinema series, strange crime at seven o'clock on Wednesday, the 19th. Thursday the 20th, Secret Journey at 7 p.m. Friday the 21st, Long Live Freedom at 7 p.m. And then Saturday the 22nd, The Confessions from 2016 at 7 o'clock. And then Monday the 24th, The Lure, The Lure from 2017 is a part of the International Art House Series at 7 o'clock. And then next Thursday the 27th and Friday the 28th, the Kristen Stewart drama Personal Shopper, both at 7 o'clock. Um, over at the Historic Artcraft Theater at 7.30 on Saturday night, you still have a chance to run down and see Showboat. Yes, the one with Howard Keel, Ava Gardner, and uh, and a few others. Uh, Friday the 21st, mark your calendars at 7.30 p.m., The Notebook. Uh, Saturday, April 22nd at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., uh, a canned good is used for admission for cartoons for cans. And then in a, in a grown-up film, Event on Saturday, April 22nd at 7.30 p.m., the Brew and View series, The Big Lebowski. That is happening at the Historic Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana. Okay, shifting gears, what is new and, uh, uh, and old on DVD and Blu-ray? Actually, I'm sorry, I should mention, Tuesday night at your local uh, local theater that carries Fathom Events, it is the rebroadcast of the Rift Tracks treatment of the uh, trauma film Samurai Cop. So Tuesday night, go to Fathom Events for and go to their website or go to Rift Tracks uh, for information on where to see Samurai Cop. Now, new on DVD and Blu-ray, uh, two films that won Best Academy that won Best Picture nominations didn't win, but they won awards. And 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 personally, they are good films. I just think they're at the bottom half of the Best Picture list: Hidden Figures and Lion. Nothing wrong with these films. They're just not in my top five. They're, well, actually, they didn't make my top ten either. So anyway, but they're out there. You can go rent those. I know Hidden Figures has made more money than all the other Best Picture win- uh, than all the other Best Picture winners, even outgrossing La La Land. But uh, anyway, you have a chance to check those out. Uh, also, the Best Foreign Film nominated film, Tony Erdman, a three-hour comedy of an over- overbearing father trying to t- get in touch with his daughter. And also the thriller The Bye-Bye Man, starring uh, film sociology guest Doug Jones. Doug is fun in it. Uh, the film is, eh, it's okay. Uh, so a couple old titles on Blu-ray from Criteria. If you liked La La Land, you should check out both starring Catherine Deneuve, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, as well as its quote-unquote sequel, Young Girls of Rochefort. Uh, dipping into the archives, uh, you know, films that you can buy online or, as Kobe used to say, I'll burn it for five bucks. From 1991, the thriller Dance Macabre, which stars Robert Englund and is written and directed by, yes, film sociology guest Graydon Clark. This uh, this pauses the question of what happens when a, when an actor is doing a film as as a break from their franchise. And in this case, so what is Robert England doing when he's not playing Freddy Krueger? Well, in this one from the early 90s, filmed in Russia on location, looks good, um, a dance troupe uh, that finally brings non-Russians, that brings in Americans and English and the other Europe, uh, folks from other, dancers from other parts of the country to audition for a company. And there's a murder mystery involved. There's also a plot point that, well, you see happening immediately. 
Um, for low budget fare, it's not bad. Uh, yes, there is. It is. There's a lot of women in leotards if you're into that sort of thing. Um, if you don't mind enjoying enjoying this film, especially England plays the dance choreographer with a past and uh, the connections between him and some other dancers in this film. It reminds me a little bit of Curtains, although not as good as Curtains. Um, so but anyway, but it's it's nice to see him playing something slightly different than what he's normally used to. And I know it's his bread and butter and more power to him. Um, but for uh, production values, again, not bad, just not terrific. Anyway, that's what he was doing in 1991 with Dance Macabre. Okay. Um, also, as a part of the film movement series, uh, a French drama from a few years ago called Puppy Love a very unsettling drama about two 14-year-old girls, uh, uh, one who has a kind of an odd relationship, not quite uh, Billy Ray and Miley, with her father, played by Vincent Perez. That's uh, Vincent Perez is probably best known uh, as the guy who replaced Brandon Lee in the Crow series and a few other uh, films of note. Um, it has flash. It has hints of the film Thirteen, where the girl from the other side of the tracks, in this case across the street, moves in, and uh, they start to go out and do some uh, do some partying, start hanging out with the uh, older boys, in some cases uh, older men, and uh, this is something that couldn't be made here in the states, or if it could, it would be it would be an independent film. But uh, what happens with the relationship between these two girls? Um, and what happens when the father gets involved? Capital G, capital I. Um, not for everybody. Uh, not a date film. Uh, again, a bit unsettling. Well done, but uh, but yeah, not for everybody. So anyway, that, look out for the film Puppy Love. Okay. Um, and as Chris Lloyd would say, doing our weekly Dead People We Like, because we don't have time for Dead People We Don't Like, uh, actor and comedian Charlie Murphy passed away earlier this week at the age of 57. Uh, best known, of course, as a stand-up and, yes, being Eddie Murphy's brother. But he appeared in films like CB4, Players Club, King's Ransom, Roll Bounce, The Perfect Holiday, Norbit, and Meet the Blacks. And also of of note, uh, cinematographer... Um, Michael Bellhouse, hope I'm saying that right, uh, worked for many, many years with uh, Rainer Fassbender and received three Academy Award nominations for Broadcast News, The Fabulous Baker Boys, and Gangs of New York. In Hollywood, worked with John Sayles and Baby It's You, also worked as a cinematographer on Reckless, the 1985 TV movie of Death of a Salesman. That's the one with Dustin Hoffman and John Malkovich. That was my introduction to that play. Uh, very powerful stuff. Did the videos for Madonna of Papa Don't Preach and True Blue. Worked with Scorsese on After Hours. Was cinematographer on, yes, Under the Cherry Moon, directed by Prince. Also worked with uh, Scorsese again on The Color of Money. The 1987 film version of The Glass Menagerie, directed by Paul Newman. I mentioned Broadcast News, The Last Temptation of Christ, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the, uh, the film Working Girl, Goodfellas, Postcards from the Edge, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Age of Innocence, Quiz Show, Sleepers, Air Force One, Primary Colors, uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance, Something's Gotta Give, and the, and the Departed, among others. And if anything else, he did shoot uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and the Fabulous, Fabulous Baker Boys. Salute to you, sir. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to dip into the interview archives. So stick around. I'm Matthew Sosi, and you're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org.
from Latin delight and simply delicioso, you are listening to Film Sociology, WFYI in Indianapolis. Hola amigos, soy Ingrid Hoffman de Delicioso y de Latin Delight. Estás escuchando Film Sociology aquí en WFYI en Indianapolis. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosey. Okay, because it was her birthday earlier this week, and I won't reveal her age, uh, we're going to dip into the archives, and here is my very fun, lively chat with uh, TV chef and personality Ingrid Hoffman. Enjoy! Joining me on Film Sociology is a chef, a TV personality, and her latest cookbook could also be her autobiography title, Latin Delight. Chef Ingrid Hoffman, how are you, milady? I am doing great, and thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, the new cookbook, I got to skim through it a little bit, and it's Latin Delight, Delicious Latin Recipes with a Healthy Twist. What, What caused you to make this cookbook at this time? my food philosophy. It's what I eat at home, what I make for myself. It's about, you know, I don't believe in diets. I believe in eating uh, real food, food that uh, comes from the ground or had a mother. And that kind of sort of eliminates most uh, processed foods and takes us back a little bit to how we should always be eating. And making it really easy so that people can actually cook it. Mm-hmm. That's the other. You know, you can tell people a lot of stories, but if you don't make it easy for them, then it's not really doable. But going through it, uh, and yeah, it was it was it, it, seeing an interesting twist on everything from uh, turkey nachos to I have to mention Delia's pulled chicken. I gotta I gotta try that sometime. Um, <laughs> so I would say, how long have you been collecting these recipes? You know, I think that whenever I think of food to do for shows and for all of the, you know, different things that I work on, it's always a combination with I, I can't put everybody on a totally clean diet. Like, I like to eat at home, but I also like to splurge. So it is a combination of things. This book took three and a half years in the making. Uh, my previous book was four years. So it's this. I I say this is my second born. <laughs> well, I would say, and are these were these recipes accumulated in that time span, or that they've always been in your in your kitchen? I think that some of them have always been. You know, like for instance, to give you an example of my go-to breakfast, made in three minutes, totally healthy, which is my egg white and veggie mug that I zap for three minutes in the microwave, but everything in it is super healthy and delicious. You know, that's something I've been doing for many, many years. Mm. Uh, I had never thought of really, uh, you know, this is something that I'm going to put in a cookbook. But when I decided that this is a cookbook about actually telling people, showing people the excuse that, oh, you don't have time to have a healthy breakfast before you don't do breakfast. Yes, I'm going to show you how you can do a really quick breakfast. That is satisfying. That is healthy. And so that's where things like that come into play. Uh, you know, there's these awesome pancakes in there that have no flour in them. And that's something that I kind of do every time that I'm craving pancakes. And I don't feel like weighing myself down with, you know, the flour. And, and so there's all those little cool tricks that I show you and how to do them and that are really doable and that kind of can start little by little transforming the way you cook and eat at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I believe in balance. I believe in working out. I believe in splurging. I believe that here and there I allow myself a binge meal. And, uh, and I think that that's very important to do so that you don't feel that you're depriving yourself. But at the same time, although this is a food, uh, uh, you know, a book about lighter food, I don't believe in having grilled chicken with a piece of lettuce and a slice <laughs> of tomato because if that was where I have to eat, I would ask you, wait, where's our real lunch? Are we going to go to lunch now? So it is about food that has flavor, that has, you know, substance to it, but it's all coming from good places and that you can actually do easy. So really sticking to everything that comes from the ground, hat mother, you know, 
we do flavor with vinegars, with spices, with herbs, with citruses, with citrus zest. Uh, you know, create a lot of sauces from nuts, from seeds. So you're still getting, you know, flavor and substance. You don't feel like you're eating, a, you know, a piece of grilled fish with nothing mm-hmm. uh, or grilled chicken. So, but it is all ingredients that your body will recognize. And, you know, there's fun appetizers, there's fun snacks for movies. You know, to me, one of my things that I really enjoy uh, of the outing of going to the movies is what I'm going to eat at the movies. So, you know, fun popcorn with twists uh, we've got in the book. You know, you can make it from sweet, salty, with a little bit of chili powder and some uh, parmesan sprinkled. Here you can give new life to popcorn. You know, I pop my popcorn with only one tablespoon of canola oil. So it's perfectly okay to have an afternoon snack of popcorn. It doesn't need to have the, you know, gazillion ounces of butter. And you add flavor by doing it in these different ways, like I just described, a little bit of parmesan, a little bit of chile. It could be a little bit of chopped cilantro or chopped parsley. I mean, there's so many ways that you can go on that. Well, it's funny. In in the recipes, you in your book, you mentioned uh, you have occasionally what is called an indulgence recipe. Oh. And it it is mostly about, like I said, treating yourself as opposed to turning your back on a healthier choice. Exactly. It's what I call them personally for me, bench meals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I admit that I have an obsessive relationship with food. Uh, I work with food, so it's very hard. I'm a foodaholic. And so this is a way in which I can be realistic. I don't set myself up for failure of starting a diet, which means I'm automatically going to break it. I plan my splurge and bench meals and my indulge meals. And I have them almost like every third day at lunchtime. And, you know, if, if what that means is that I want to have two burgers, three fries, and, you know, whatever, gazillion Coca-Cola and, and milkshake, then I'm going to have it. I've satisfied it. I feel that I planned it, so I'm in control of it. So it doesn't have the guilt associated to it. And then next meal, I'm back on it. So I really think that it's... People drive us crazy with all the diet fads. Everyone that I know that lives on a diet is overweight. Everyone that I know that drinks diet Pepsi, <laughs> diet this, diet this, is all overweight. So it really is about just changing how you eat. It's a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. And throughout the book, I, I help you make that transition. And at some point, you start seeing, and it's almost like if you're changing the hardware the chip in your hard drive. You know, I gave a couple of recipes to a friend who made five of them, and she said, you know, after I, you know, now that I've made five recipes of the book, I kind of understand and see the changes, and it's actually pretty cool. I haven't missed anything, and, you know, there was this one that you were only using one tablespoon of oil, and I thought, my God, it's going to dry and burn the chicken, and then I saw what you did to fix it, and it's such a great idea because I'm going to use that now to how I normally cook. So it is really about small changes that add up to big differences. Yes. And you, you also add a new twist on items that we've seen every day, like everything from meatloaf to fried chicken to hamburgers. So it helps break up the monotony. You have to. You need it. You know, it's like, especially if you want to stay on a uh, realistic plan. I think that it is important that you have a little bit of everything. But at the same time, they're very easy to do recipes. I joke that if I can make them, a nine-year-old kid can make them. And that is really <laughs> one of the things that I strive for because I understand that if not, people cannot live this, you know, do it. You, you need to be able to, for it to be realistic. The other thing that I really highly emphasize is, is about planning and Planning your meals should be something like planning, setting an appointment in the calendar, just like you do for the dentist or for your mammogram or for you have to make it a priority. There's a day in which you plan your menus. There's a day in which you buy everything. There's a day in which you cook it. The other thing is do everything double. It takes the same amount of time to go to the supermarket and buy the, you know, the ingredients for the recipe for making it once as it is for making it twice. You're still going to dirty your kitchen. Might as well get a, you know, more, 
bang for the buck and for your time. And if you do each recipe, when you're going to do it, do it double, you then freeze in portions. And that way, you know, when you're leaving in the morning for work, you can switch from the freezer into the fridge. You come home at night, you've got cleaner food, more, you know, less expensive. You take away the stress of having to think about it. And you can involve your entire family in being a part of the making process, uh, giving everyone little chores, teaching the kids that learning to cook since you're little is really important. And you really are what you eat. So I think that it is an entire lifestyle uh, philosophy. And I think that when we don't want to look at these things, you will end up spending more money being stressed and you will spend more money at the drugstore and medical bills because if we think that we can continue eating all of these packaged foods full of bad, bad preservatives and additives and chemicals and not get sick, then I think everybody is really dreaming. And they're gonna, it's going to be a really bad nightmare when they wake up. So, you know, hopefully by showing them how easy these recipes are, that this drink even has, this uh, book even has drinks. It's got cocktails. Yes. It's about living life. No one is telling you, you know, be rigid or be obsessive or be, no, it's quite the contrary. Everything in moderation. And you're able to do that when you start cutting down on bad things. Mm -hmm. And if those bad things also mean calories, then, you know, it's a win-win because at the end of the day, then you can have those splurges here and there. Yeah, I'm ready to make a, a beloved whiskey the next movie I watch at home, so I appreciate that. <laughs> now, uh, are, you, are you still working on Delicioso for Univision? Yes, yes. We continue doing Delicioso uh, across all of the different platforms of Univision. We have Delicioso Radio, Delicioso App, Delicioso TV, uh, Delicioso Mobile. And uh, we are now in the fall launching the Delicioso Houseware line nationwide. It'll start in July on the Home Shopping Network and hit retail August, September. So we're very excited because this is going to go from prep to cook, cook to table. So by that is every important kitchen gadget that you need, every cookware that you need. And then serving the table, so from drinkware to dishes, cutlery, name it, everything. So it's a real expansion of the brand. And three and a half years ago, I sold part of the brand to Univision. We partnered up to with the Delicioso brand. So it's really obviously a dream come true that something that you started out of the kitchen of your house 17 years ago as a dream and seven episodes on a piece of paper today is a decisioning to become a household brand in every category from food table to different type of products is very exciting so it, it's a good time and especially now with Latin Delight you know I think that little by little just sort of really seeing uh, you know all of the things that I think are important to share to 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 help people as well as to you know see the fruition of so many years of work and love and passion come together to actually be something real and tangible. So it's very exciting. And, uh, of course, you can check that out on Univision. You can still see episodes of Simply Delicioso on the Cooking Channel. And I have to tell you, Ingrid, I still watch those for a couple reasons. One, <laughs> I, I do because, well, I try to snap my fingers and, and everybody keeps moving. So <laughs> y you have that. And... <laughs> and your show, your show's name is one of the nicknames I give for Mrs. Sosi. So we want to thank you for that. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, I keep I keep asking her to recreate your dance moves at the title sequence, but uh, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we got to come up with a new one now for the new shows coming up. We got to come up with something. We'll see. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to outdo myself on the next one. Uh oh. Okay. Well, we'll we'll look for we'll look for that. I, I guess I also want to ask, well, how was the experience uh, appearing on the Taste? The Taste was very fun to do. You know, I think that uh, because of there being so much in each episode, it very little makes 
little bit bummed about because I wanted to see more of everything. I wanted to see more of the contestants. I wanted to see, you know, when I was there, we filmed so much. It obviously you have to cut it down. So I, it really left me wanting to have seen a lot more than what we got to see. But, you know, such is the process of television. It was a lot of fun to do. I love, love uh, Anthony and Nigella and the rest of the crew. And ABC is an amazing company to work with. So it was a lot of fun. You know, in the editing, you didn't really see my entire explanation as to why I ended up picking what I liked the least, but what I thought really was suited the challenge. So uh, that, that, because of the editing, never came across, which actually was a shame because then I got on all the social media like, why? You said that you didn't like it, but you picked it. And uh, that was very interesting. And it, it was actually what best person, what best did justice to what the challenge was to seduce. And if it seduced me and I didn't even like it, you know, that's sort of like... Imagine. <laughs> you know, you just opened the floodgates for a lot of guys now that you've said that. Uh, yeah, I tend to like the bad boys. Oh, great. Well, I would say just, just, just seeing you and Nigella on the same screen, I chased Mrs. Sosie around the house, so thank you for that. <laughs> oh, you've made me laugh so much. Great. We can do these interviews whenever you want. I'm having a ball. Uh-oh. Famous, famous last words. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 I promised the text, but no photos. That's okay. Since this is a film show, what what movies have you watched recently? New, old, doesn't matter. I just watched Anna Canerina, Canerina this past weekend, and I loved it, loved it. I know it did not have great reviews, but visually it was stunning, and it was such a love story, tragic, and betrayal, and... But it was, I thought that visually it was stunning, the photography, the costumes. I really enjoyed it. I tried watching Argo and I fell asleep through it. <laughs> I'm not sure that that was a good thing. Were you, were you Sorry, at, Ben Affleck. <laughs> well, were, were you at home? Yes, and I was very tired and not feeling well. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, better, better to fall asleep in the living room than actually in the theater. So give it another shot. It's okay. I definitely will. But I thought that the Anna Karenina was a very sexy, hot movie and very passionate as well. One of the things I was curious about is when you see people cooking in a movie, do you, do you study it and see if they actually know what they're doing? I guess that I do that when I'm watching cooking TV, which I really never do because it stresses me out. Um, <laughs> well, and it's kind of like what you do. Yeah, it's not fun for me to come home and watch watch that type of thing, and I don't, and I hate watching myself. So, and and I mean, I enjoy. I think that when you can see a scene in which food is part of the passion of whether it is important to the scene, it's. I enjoy that. I, I don't care that it, you know, it's like if a friend tries to cook for me and they don't really know how to cook, but they're doing something that they like doing, then I'm the happiest. So I never watch it with those critical eyes. I, I, I was curious because I, a couple of titles I was scanning through before talking to you, I, th I thought of uh, Tortilla Soup and uh, Like Water for Chocolate, and I was wondering if you had seen those. <laughs> yes. I've seen like water for chocolate. And, you know, I'll tell you, there's something um, not too crazy about the, the idea of energy into food. I'm not sure if you're aware with the yogi philosophy that, like, real hardcore yogis uh, will never eat food that has been prepared by someone else unless it is a yogi like them. Mm -hmm. And food is prepared in meditation because they say that food is live energy. It is true. I mean... If you think about it, the person that's preparing your food, who's touching it, who's putting all their, their energy into it, then you ingest it. And so they better be in a good mood uh, is all I have to say. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's a brilliant movie. That's a very beautiful movie. Are you going on a book tour now with this, or what, what's next for you? Yes, we are starting literally. Well, we're still right now doing this week, uh, radio and uh, weeklies around the country in both languages. So the list is really, really long. <laughs> and then I launch officially next week uh, in Spanish at Univision, the morning show. And then in English, we the exclusive is with the Today Show, uh, which is 
where I launched my previous book as well, and I do the Today Show fairly often. They're very good to me. We've built a very nice relationship there uh, with the NBC folks, so they've always been very welcoming and supportive of me there. So uh, it was naturally that we launched there. Then we're heading out to L.A., and we're going to be doing the talk and doing, I believe, there's Dr. Oz. And uh, there's, there's so much on the list, but, yes, I'm definitely doing the rounds. I'm going to be in various cities. You know, it's an exciting time. Uh, book, you know, book is the type of thing you do for love. I don't do my books for money. Uh, it's nice if they turn profitable uh, or at least break even, but it's something that you, first of all, it's so much. It's the hardest thing I do. I can produce television with my eyes closed, but do a book takes. Uh, if you do your own books, it is a hell of a lot of work and very difficult, which is why this one took three and a half years to do. And to those people that put out a book a year, I have no idea who's doing their cookbooks for them, but I can assure you it's not them. Um, yeah, that story does not fly with me. <laughs> do you know what you're going to, I'm sorry, do you know what you're going to prepare for the Today Show? I believe that I that was probably picked about three months ago. If you ask me right now, what am I making on the Today Show? I'm trying to figure out what I'm making tomorrow on the morning show. Yes, dear. You know, the schedule has been so crazy that really the way I work, I cannot look at the calendar because I would get so overwhelmed that I would probably run away and never come back. <laughs> so what I do is that I kind of I take it day by day, you know, at night. I'll look at my schedule of the next day. Whatever I need to study, I will study. You know, obviously, we pick. I, I'm involved in absolutely everything. Generally, a lot of these things, like my morning show segments at Univision, we give them this material six months in advance. So literally, they have, no, they have of mine what I'm going to be doing almost the entire year, week by week. So in that process, I'm involved 100%. Now, tonight, once I'm done, because today I've been doing, I just came from a, uh, one-hour live interview as well. So I'm trying to get through the day, just focus on this, what I'm doing <laughs> with you. And tonight I'll look and see, okay, well, am I getting up at 4 in the morning or at 5? <laughs> and what am I doing? <laughs> a crazy schedule, but it's all good. Well, I think no matter what happens, when you go to New York, you better leave a gallon of Mexican sangria for Kathy Lee and Hoda. Well, you, those girls like their drinks. Yes, we all should be so lucky yeah. at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know. I want to have that job. At least it would be okay to just sit there and be drinking. I'll I'll back you up. I'll keep the chair straight. <laughs> Maybe you and I should get a morning show like that. The drinking show. Oh, those are famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> From 2013, my interview with Ingrid Hoffman, who celebrated a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Ingrid. And to celebrate the return of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which you can find on Netflix, here is my 2014 interview with Mystery Science Theater creator Joel Hodgson. Tell us a little bit about riffing myself, because I know you'll be talking, you'll be riffing yourself at Indie PopCon. Yes, there's two versions of riffing myself. There's the public riffing myself, which is at 5.30 on Friday, and uh, that's May 30th. Oh, wait. Yeah, 5.30, and then um, I do Behind uh, behind Riffing Myself, which is a more in-depth uh, uh, VIP event at 3 p.m. on Saturday. So in Riffing Myself, it's, the, or it's basically the creation story of Mystery Science Theater, all the influences, all the things I saw uh, growing up, and all uh, you know, everything from the music I was listening to to the books I was reading. And uh, and so and it's lots of pictures. So yeah. So how long have you been preparing this uh, one man show? And you have two versions of it. Oh man, um, you know, I did it. It probably took me, I don't know, it probably took me three, four months to put together. And then the last year I've been traveling with it. I've probably done twelve or fourteen cities and performed it um, all over the place. So, yeah, something like that. So how how has it changed from the first time you did it in front of an audience? Well, you learn how to, you you know, it's funny. It's like anything. It, you learn how to lean into certain things. You learn what the, um, what are the things they really like? What are the things they really want to hear? 
what are the things that are important to say, but they don't really care about the kind of lead up to the more important things. So it, it's all kind of an act of massaging all those elements. So it, so it flows and it feels like a show, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you just work, it, it, you know, always the, the live audience is, is kind of your best collaborator for making stuff. I always thought of, of Mystery Science Theater as kind of a, a, a television version of jazz, and I think in this case you're, you're getting to do a solo performance. Um, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, well, that's a really nice thing to say. I appreciate that. And, you know, riff, the, the, you know, the, the act of riffing comes from, you know, the, the name comes from a jazz riff, you know, the idea of, you know, reacting to something and, and being, you know, kind of in the moment. So, yeah, it's, it's really... Um, I really like that analogy. Uh, it's kind of like that. Again, you know, with riffing myself, it's really a story, so it's me presenting it with lots of pictures. And I do, obviously, once I put up the pictures, I riff on them, but, but it's it's a little different. It's not me riffing on a movie by myself. Right. Yeah, because you know, with Mystery Science Theater, you know, the movie could you know, the movie is different, the riffs are different, the audience reaction is different. Whether you know we're watching at home, you know, you always hear people say you know some episodes are better than others, and I'm sure from your point of view, some uh, riffing myself were better than others, depending on certain cities. Oh, it's really true. You know, there's so many variables at work. I mean, it's the audience, it's the way I feel while and. It, you know, and then the thing that's beyond that is just what's happening together with everybody in the room, you know. So it's really true. You just can't, you can't know, and that's why people like it. And I think that's why people get addicted to performing is it's never, it's never the same, you know. And you, you can tweak it and you can work on it and kind of affect the outcome, hopefully make it better each time and make it flow better each time. But, yeah. Now, you said there's a, a VIP version of this. Can you give us a little insight on how that is going to differ? I mean, you, you said more in-depth, more anecdotes maybe, stuff that's uh... – Well, well, yeah. I mean, mostly it's a lot of – it's kind of, you know, it's it's really has an open structure where people can stop me at any time and ask questions. And that doesn't isn't the case when I do it, uh, uh, you know, the, ver- the other more public version. That's really a performance. And so the VIP version is, oh, wait, I got, I want to hear more about this stop, you know, they can raise their hand and stop me and, and kind of go deeper, you know, it's more interactive, I think. And, and I guess you've been riffed already? Well, uh, you mean people riffing? You mean people like, I think, you're, are you thinking of like hecklers? Not necessarily hecklers. I, I think the, the, even on the street, how often do you get people yelling quotes at you, yelling riffs at you? Oh, that doesn't happen too much. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. I think, I think that, I feel like that was it was really peculiar. But, but right after the show, you know, it's been a long time since the show's been on. It's been fifteen years, and I think while the show was on, I think people would get in that headspace and believe that, like, I was that guy. Like that's me. <laughs> Right. And I'm not like a guy who has, there's like eight writers in the room and we're all creating stuff. You know, they think Joel's the embodiment of that. <laughs> um, and so I think that happened a lot more in the past. People now, I think everybody's kind of settled into what it is and knows what it is. And uh, because I do events like Indie PopCon, you know, I, uh, people have access to me so they can kind of meet me. So it doesn't happen that much, as much as you'd think. I think, um, you know, also we produce so much material, you know, like 700, 800 riffs per movie, that a lot of times it, it's possible they're saying stuff and I just don't recognize it. I don't remember it. So that maybe that's it. Maybe they're doing that, but I'm not getting it. Right. I think it's all, it's, you know? it's almost like Shakespeare as far as introducing new things to as far as everyday speak. I mean, uh, I still say occasionally to come up to people and ask them, uh, any of you do Pez? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I think so. You know, uh, it, it's so I have to say it's so embedded in me. I'll give you an example. Um, I just watched the Mystery Science Theater riff on, on Sinbad. Mm-hmm. And uh, or the final voyage of Sinbad or whatever it was, I don't remember. But 
I did a show with Cinematic Titanic, and I had the guy, there's a character who's sitting alone, and I had him sing Where is Love from the musical Oliver. Yeah. And and people laughed really hard, and they loved it. But I, I didn't realize it was a riff from Mystery Science Theater. I'd done the same joke 15 years earlier, 20 years earlier, and didn't realize it. So it's kind of like... It's so kind of because when you're writing the show, it's a show about everything, and so you put everything in, and you kind of don't know when the show stops and you begin, you know, or end. You know, it's kind of like it's all in there. There's just stuff, mm-hmm. stuff from just peculiar things from that just happen. You know, the conversations, like a lot of it, is us kind of mimicking the look on somebody's face, and that just comes from conversations you've heard people have or people have said to you so it's all embedded in that show and and so i have to say you know like i said i don't i don't really know when when you know exactly when that happens where i stop and when the show starts it's weird my daughter is uh, 12 and when she was younger she referred to it as the daddy movies with the funny robots and, and now the way I get her out of bed is I will get right into her ear and start to uh, vocalize the theme from Manos, which she said is the worst thing she's ever experienced. Oh, that's hilarious. That's so great. Um, I know I I have to say, you know, there's moments when it's just, uh, you know, I'm having so much fun because I'm going back and watching them. And it's like there was one <laughs> that just made me laugh out loud I, forgot about it since Sinbad and and this movie is great and it's got all this energy to it it's just a huge production but there's this great big feast they're having with jesters and tumblers and kings and it's just packed it's dense and Sinbad says I've been all around the world and this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen (laughs) and it's as simple as that is it just cracked me up I laughed out loud at it and it's really funny so I'm starting to understand what it's like uh, for people on the outside of it, you know, like what it feels like watching it for the first time, because so much time has gone by. With the box set, I know you're often on there doing intros and doing the documentaries. How 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 long a stretch do they film those, or how many sessions do you have to go and be filmed for the for the collections? They only do it one at a time. Um, usually or sometimes they'll do pickups and go oh we've planned far enough in advance where we're going to have you do a section for the next box set but usually usually the box sets are recorded one at a time they're not in in series okay if somebody were to start watching mystery science theater is there an episode that you would say this is 101 oh you know i'm not the guy to i'm really not the guy to to do that okay. i feel like the way i look at them is so different because i'm i like i just have you know it's like i'm like the puppeteer you know so it's like i don't really get like i, I can't really get that great impression i know you know based on I've, I've surveyed people on my twitter feed and and asked them like when we did turkey day last year i asked them their favorite movies some of them that keep coming up are things like Mitchell. People love Mitchell. They love um, Werewolf. I'm going to try to think. Uh, they say uh, people like Pod People really a lot. I'm trying to remember the other one. Something in Space. It's a Mike episode. When going through the library, because we hear the story of the, the films that are in the library, you know, as far as the video collection, was there ever a film that was known or semi-known, but it just wasn't show material? Well, we didn't want to do um, Plan 9. I remember that because that was famous for being a bad movie. And so, you know, we kind of felt that was too on the... You know, we felt like somebody had already found that movie and called it out and said, this is like a terrible movie. This is the worst movie ever made. So that was one that we didn't deliberately didn't do. Uh, but other movies that we found... Once we found a movie that would work, we felt would work. We it was we really wanted it. We worked really hard to get them. So we didn't like survey movies that we couldn't get. It wasn't like we went on Netflix and looked for movies and said, <laughs> "Oh, can we get this one?" You know, right. it was like they they had been screened by lawyers in New York, and we got boxes of VHSs that had been 
they knew that they could get the rights to or that it was likely. I, I still have a, a paperback copy of the Golden Turkey Awards, and and I, w- I would always look for titles, especially with you guys. If, if I remember like Creeping Terror or other films that I've, I've always read about but never got a chance to see, and you guys put a lot of check marks in that book for me, so thank you. Oh, yeah, well, you know, the Turkey – the you know the the turkey awards was really influential i saw that when i was in college you know probably like 1981 and um and that had a huge influence on me that's uh that's actually something i talk about in riffing myself where i go why isn't anybody making a show with these movies you know that was basically the the moment where i realized oh yeah like well i don't get these you know, these things are hugely entertaining. Why isn't someone exploiting that? So, yeah, that's a, that book looms really large in the in the story. Who was your uh, local horror show host? Did you watch that growing up? Yeah, um, there was a show out of Madison called... I grew up in Wisconsin, so there's a, a show in Madison called uh, Ferdy's Inferno. There was a show in Milwaukee called Nightmare Theater. And um, there was, like, a really weird character named Toulouse Nonek. He was, like, a headless guy. That was one of the characters. And then um, in Green Bay, it was a show called Erie Street, and the host's name was Alexander. He was a vampire. Shifting gears a little bit, what films, I mean, new or old, it doesn't matter, but what films do you like to watch leisurely at home where you don't have to riff? Oh, man, I'm like everybody. I, like, want... Every time I watch a movie for entertainment, I want to be taken away by it. I want to watch it and enjoy it. And um, like I watched the Captain America movie, I really liked it. The Winter Soldier, I thought it was really good, and it it did just exactly what I was hoping it would. Just mm-hmm. kind of, I forget, I cease to be myself, and I'm Captain America. You know? Do you get recognized in theaters uh, often? You mean by the shape of my head? <laughs> I, I didn't say me. I didn't say that, but uh... um, you know what? That's only happened once, and it was really funny. It was at the at the place where Cine Family uh, has their residency now in L.A. It was the Silent Movie Theater, and that was the first time I and only time I was ever recognized by the back of my head. Somebody <laughs> sat behind me, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, "Are you the guy from MSP?" So yeah. But it it doesn't happen too much. I think um, occasionally people will pick me out, but it, I really praise them for being especially gifted and having a good eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happen to be one of those people. I have really good facial pattern recognition, and so when I used to live in L.A., I'd be able to pick out celebrities all the time, and, and the people with me just wouldn't see them. Mm-hmm. So there are people that are gifted at that, um, but it's it's not very often. Now, I read in the uh, in the Wired article there was this, there was uh, something that was alluded to that there's going to be some form of uh, reunion reboot. Can you elaborate on that? I can't really. Um, it, that was a leak uh, a little early, ah. so I can't really say anything about it now. That was worth a shot. Yeah. From 2014, my interview with Mystery Science Theater creator Joel Hodgson. You can see the revamped Mystery Science Theater. On Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, some words to live by. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Especially my life as a zucchini. And uh, depending on when you're listening to this, happy Easter. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.